Welcome everyone to the C-Suite Marketing Perspectives Podcast. I'm Steve McDonald, your host. And we've got a really interesting conversation today. It has to do with what is it that impacts every aspect of what we do in marketing. We're going to be talking about content. And on is Devin Davis. And Devin is the VP of Marketing at Tetrate. And you've been doing this for 15 plus years. And you've got a playbook. And the way that you just think about content and the creation of content, that's really interesting. But before we get into that, maybe expand on the light introduction that I just gave for you there, and then we'll move on. Sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, I've been I've been doing some some form of marketing for close to twenty years now. Uh, came out of journalism, uh, went into comms and PR, which is sort of the, that natural transition. Originally from the Bay Area, so technology it was. Um, in about the last 10 to 15 years, I've been either leading marketing all up or leading significant size marketing organizations within a larger organization, uh, with content always an important part of that. Uh, comms has always been a piece of it, and, and more recently, demand gen, product marketing, sort of all the, all the news that's fit to print from a, from a marketing perspective is my responsibility. Now, what's interesting is that all the news that's fit to print, very journalistic approach, right? You had, and we were talking right before we hit the uh, record button, kind of the typical conversations that you get from C-suite in terms of, you know, Devin, what's the plan on content? How are you thinking about it? What are the typical kind of questions and expectations you get? And then how do you reframe or reframe that really for them in a way that makes perfect sense and everybody nods their head and says, yep, that's what we got to do. Yeah, I mean, you know, C-suite really can vary greatly, right? Like executives come from all different paths. So uh, there are executives who started started their career on the technical side, executives who started their career on the sales side, and here and there execs who started them, their, their career on the marketing side. So uh, because of that, the questions vary, but the, the intent of them is always very similar. Uh, who are we trying to reach and how are we trying to reach them? Uh, and so... Being able to be thoughtful about answering that question in a way that makes sense uh, to to the executive is important because it may be that they're asking the right question in the wrong way. So, for example, I've had an executive say to me, "Like, who are the personas that we're targeting? Are we targeting by personas first? Are we are we are we thinking about this more from a topic area? Like, how are we reaching people? Those are good questions, but they're just not the right ones. Uh, they're they're directionally accurate, but they're the focus is a little off." What matters is uh, how are you reaching them and, and what are the problems that you're solving through them? So uh, I, I mentioned this when we were talking. Product marketing is the worst named function in the world uh, because what you should be doing when you're, when you're leading product marketing is talking as little as possible about your product and instead talking about the problem area that it solves. And once you understand that, it unlocks a new way of reaching your audience your ICP or call it what, what you will in a way that it's just going to be a lot more effective. Now that kind of sounds like blasphemy, right? Especially coming from a tech company because it's all about, you know, in SaaS and I'm a SaaS founder and 99% of SaaS companies think as soon as somebody knows what we do, right? Oh, the floodgates are going to open up, right? I mean, it just, you know, we drank the Kool-Aid, everybody else should. But you're not talking about features and benefits and, you know, here's our product roadmap and everything. You're talking about the problem that we solve. 
that's what the people that you're reaching out to, that's what they're thinking about every day, right? That's what they're toiling with. Well, and, and what, what we do is solve the problem, right? Right. If you're, if you're, if you're selling correctly, I guess. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm interested in this whole area because, yeah, I did a lot of fractional CMO work with SaaS companies and the comfort zone was always product marketing. And it was always about what our product did, what's coming, and not what you're talking about, which is kind of turning around 180 degrees and looking at it from the perspective of your customer, right? So how, how much kind of, you know, influence do you have to try to exert internally to really kind of get the company focused in a content strategy that's all about the problem? Yeah, um, I've never run into a situation where you don't have to say it several times. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I think what you're talking about is human nature. It's human nature to be proud of what you've built and to want to share that with the world. Um, and so uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, I think it's a good thing. Um, but it, it's just reframing how you tackle things. And uh, it makes intuitive sense when you explain it. And people tend to get on board really quickly, especially at the C-suite, because they're sort of like, yeah, customer first. That's, everyone says that, right? Right. Uh, but there's, there's uh, that immediate response, and then there's how it shows up in practice. And it shows up differently in practice, because then you put something together. Uh, let's say you pull something together that sort of talks about the problem space of like, in our case, uh, FIP certification and why that really matters when it comes to... Uh, application networking, for example, right? Like very specific problem that we solve that we have, have seen a lot of engagement on from a customer perspective. So you, you build some content around that and you go to publish it and someone in the C-suite sees it and they say, that doesn't talk about our product. Why doesn't it talk about our product as a solution? Well, because that doesn't matter. Like that's not, that's not where we're at in the cycle. Like what we want is people to see us as the experts who understand their pain and then come to us and say, I am in pain you understand my pain. Tell me more about how you solve it. We want them to ask that question. We don't want to proactively tell them what we do because it'll be more powerful. Like they're more bought in by that time. And, you know, for the, for the very analytic thinkers here, more and more and more B2B buyers are wanting to go self-serve. You know, Gartner talks a lot about that. Mm -hmm. You know, they also talk about how about 83% of B2B buyers do all their research and decide before they talk to anybody in the company, what, who's going to be on the short list, right? Who's going to actually make it. And so our job is, and at that point in time, then traditional product marketing becomes very, very important, right? But our job is because most companies aren't a household name. We actually have to get onto that list. We have to get earlier in the buyer's journey. We have to give them a reason to be thinking about us before they even know specifically what it is that we do. That's a difficult kind of conversation sometimes to have internally, because I'm sure you've had it. I've had many of them here, but tell me a little bit about how you define the problem. When you think about, okay, it's all about solving the problem, right? 
How do you define the problem? Uh, well, uh, it depends on the situation. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to tackle it, but I think the cleanest way uh, is do research. So if you, if you have the budget, going out and doing proper qualitative and quantitative research, the onset of an engagement with a new company as a, as a marketer is the best possible investment you can make. Uh, and, and the reason for that is that you will know exactly who your buyer is. You will know exactly how they make their decisions. You will know exactly how mature your market is. You'll have some sense of how quickly it is going to continue to mature and you can make decisions that are based in data. And I, I've been doing this a long time. So like my gut is right most of the time, but sometimes it's not. And there's no better way to, to test that than to look at proper data of your buyers in the key parts of the world that you expect purchases to happen and see how they're pushing back on. Now, when you say pushing back, that's interesting. Elaborate on that a little bit, maybe. Sure. So. Um, like I said, like my assumptions are often right. Cause I've been doing this type of work in a specific subset of an audience for a long time, but sometimes it's not. And, and how that shows up is, is, uh, I think that the market is further along than this when I join a company, for example. Um, so not, not the company I'm at, but a, a previous company I worked at, I joined and I was like, okay, so my understanding of this market going into the, going into the uh, job is it's going to grow from X to Y over the course of the next 24 months, you know, like three X, uh, billions and billions of dollars. Uh, that was supported by research I'd done with, with analyst firms and the like. So like it didn't come from nowhere. Um, I, I did some homework, but then I got in there, I did qualitative and quantitative research. And one of the questions we asked the buyers, uh, once we sort of zeroed in on who they were was how long until you make a, a purchase when it comes to this type of technology and more than half of them said 24 months or further. So the data that I had was wrong. Like the information that I had up to that point was wrong. And so it fundamentally changed our strategy. Like, like we moved further up the funnel and leaned in heavily on education because it was the right thing to do. It's just not where the market was. And so we had to change how we were approaching it. Now, you said something interesting there, right? Because almost everybody here that's listening has an ABM sales process. So mm -hmm. we're talking eight months, 12 months, 15, 18, 24 is a pretty long cycle. Uh, so the need for education is absolutely there and to establish your expertise and everything. How do you think about that? So that's typically the area of like thought leadership content, right? Where you're, you're helping them do their jobs, mm -hmm. right? So that's not necessarily, well, this was, this presupposes I was right about ready to ask you a question that was, this is still about defining their problem, right? Because their problem is not necessarily limited to just the problem that your tech solves. If you're educating and you're trying to build your reputation and your expertise as an advisor in the industry, there's kind of concentric circles that come out from the problem, right? And none of those are off limits, but how do you think about that? Because the problem, yeah, isn't always 
you might have a C-suite individual saying, why are we talking about this, right? How does this relate to our problem, you know, to our technology, what we're doing? How do you think about that? So there's a really interesting trend happening right now in technology. You have no doubt this of everyone deciding that they're a platform. Um, when, everything, when everyone's a platform, nobody's a platform. Uh, because the word loose is all me. And so, uh, as I, as I, as I look at that sort of trend as it's playing out today, I think, uh, the smart companies have already sort of gotten ahead of that a little bit and they're starting to focus on, um, here is the, like, to your point about concentric circles, like th this is a pie right. and this piece of the pie and this, it's a weird way to cut a pie, I guess, but it's center piece of the pie. And then the next ring out of the pie and the next ring out of the pie. We don't solve that for you, but there are very simple solves for that. Let's talk about that education-wise. But these next three rings of the pie, the external pieces, part that's going to get you to actually be able to finish it, that's what we do. So let's talk about how you get to reach us where we're at and then how we will help you to speed up your process once you start working with us. And like that can be software development, but it can also be unlocking revenue. Like what it actually shows up as for the business depends on one, the product and two, the business. Uh, but at the end of the day, like don't lay claim to things that you can't do. Just help people figure out how to solve those problems. Like be useful. Yeah. And in, in doing that and being useful, we all know ABM sales is all about building relationships, right? So adding value, being useful, you know, being that advisor that helps them in all those concentric rings that aren't necessarily specifically what you do but super important to them, right? Yeah. You said at the very beginning, you know, this podcast that you literally want to help them, right? In any way that you can. I had a CEO on and it's about, you know, what do B2B CEOs want from their CMOs? And this gentleman, he's a two-time CEO, was a former CMO. And he said, all I want from my CMO is for them to add value to my company. And the number one way to do that is just to help, help the people that we're reaching out to add value in every way that you can, because that builds that relationship. And that is the 97% of the market that's not in the market to buy right now. They don't want to hear about products, right? They're not even ready to buy. Mm -hmm. They're certainly ready to hear somebody that's going to help them. And that's going to build that relationship. So that's what I think about when I hear you talking about the, you know, how important it is just to add value and be useful. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not about closing the sale, sale tomorrow necessarily. Sometimes it is, but, uh, you should be establishing customer relationships for the long haul. Like, especially when it comes to SaaS, right? Like, like ARR is a metric that companies and SaaS use for a reason. Like. You want your customers to stick around. It really matters. So you have to be relevant and you have to remain relevant. So ultimately, this means that you've got to lay out a content calendar, right? You've got to pick mm -hmm. topics. You've got to pick themes. How do you think about kind of moving into that more kind of executional phase? We've been talking very um, high level about, in general, we need to be adding value and how do we do that? But now you got to lay out a content calendar. Yeah. So you've done that research, right? You've done that qualitative and quantitative research. 
You've taken that and validated it with analysts. Um, you've determined what the topics and the pain that, that your target audience, call it your ICP, call it what you want, cares about. Um, and now you lay out themes and focus areas over the period, over X period of time. I typically, um, I find that trying to build any sort of marketing plan longer than six months is a fool's errand. Uh, so, uh, I do biannual plans that I refresh on a quarterly basis. Uh, and, and so, uh, content is an important part of that. And you build out like, what are your four key campaign themes? And then what are the, like, let's say two to three topics within each campaign theme that you're going to focus on from a content perspective, delivery mechanisms vary. Sometimes you really need a video. Sometimes you really need a white paper. Sometimes it's a full on PR campaign and nothing else. It just, it depends on what you're looking to accomplish with the content you're developing. Um, but the, the end goal is the same, which is reaching the audience who cares about the pain that you are solving and making sure that they understand it. And then obviously having content for the on the pipeline, uh, either, either on the sales side, or maybe it's like a more in-depth white paper, or maybe it's some sort of technical content, maybe it's docs, depending on what the software offering is, where they can really get in and see how that works. Um, once they get closer to actually making a buttons. You know, what's interesting is you, you talked about, you know, educating them on the pain points and there's, there should be a very well established. Yes, this is a pain point, but everything that we do in B2B marketing is to say, here's that pain point, but here's how it really impacts you, right? To make that pain point that we solve one of the most important pain points, because that's going to drive action, right? So we're, when we're talking about educating, yes, it's all those rings of the pie and everything, but it's also educating around that pain point and drawing the conclusion that this is something they've got to, they've got to jump on, right? This is not something that's a, oh, pro con, if I don't do anything, not the end of the world. That's the exact opposite of the end of what our marketing is trying to do. I mean, it's software, but software is still people. Large language models are still built by people. Like, Pain is something that people uniquely feel. And so you miss the point of the fact that your audience is people and at your own risk, like that's a massive mistake to make. Like it's not, it's not like we solved this very simple software challenge and now you're like, zero, it does not work. That is not the way to do it. It's this software challenge. Yeah, or this challenge with, with your workflow or like whatever it may be is causing this amount of time. It's causing you to have to like address things in off hours in ways that you don't want to. You have to cancel plans. You're not able to spend the time you want to with your family. Like market to people. People are who make buying decisions. That's up. So is part of that research helping you in your mind that you talked about earlier? to define the real scope and depth of the problem so that you can re-educate or further educate or elaborate with the, you know, the audience, the importance of that problem and how it actually does impact them. Mm -hmm. Um, yes, yes. So, so there's sort of two layers to it, right? So there's the, uh, what is the actual problem that you're solving problem? 
uh, and how will that make their work life simpler and more effective depending on whatever, whatever the outcome is that they're looking to achieve, uh, from what say an OKR perspective. Uh, and so like software can help to solve that B2B. I'm generally selling software. Um, however, uh, when we do that initial research, I do know how, how old the people are. I do know what their gender is. I do know where they live. And so you can surmise some things from that. If the average buyer of the software that you're selling is a 35 year old male in a major metropolitan area, there's a high probability that they either have or are going to have children in a reasonably close period of time. And so how they make decisions shifts. It's different. And so the way that you frame the content that you're going to put in front of them matters. Like, what is it they care about? Time, possibly sleep, depending on how old their kids are, right? These things matter. <laughs> Speaking from experience, I can tell. Indeed, I do have a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now what I want to do is I want to talk about focusing on revenue, right? Because everything that we do, right, if it doesn't end up and result in additional revenues for the company. So how do you track? How do you measure? How do you attribute so that you know that actually, and then work with sales and in that relationship, that what you're doing is actually impacting revenue? Um, well, you measure. Right. So, so when you build content, uh, you do something with it. You don't just like set it free, cross your fingers and hope for the best. So there's awareness programs and there's demand programs. And if you build proper campaigns, there's a clear through line between those and demand programs typically include content syndication. And so, uh, part of how you're going to measure your outcomes is on that front in terms of like this content led to, to these like state zero opportunities or these num this number of QLs. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, if you were responsible for our marketing and in, in my case, I'm signing up for a target. I'm going to help to reach X percentage of this target against our pipeline. And if I deliver on that and we are hitting all of our other numbers and like the, that the targeting is right then I can then reverse engineer at the end of a quarter and say, this program did a lot better, which means this topic is resonating, which means we need to go invest more in it, both from an awareness perspective and from a demand perspective. So all this content and investing in the content, tracking the content and your background in journalism. Mm -hmm. What is, how was that helped in what you're doing or how you look at content today versus your background? Yeah. I mean, um, journalism is, is, is very cutthroat, uh, but it's, it's cutthroat in a different way that I think some people often think about it, which is like. Uh, the most focused and effective story wins. So there's this concept in journalism of the inverted pyramid. And the inverted pyramid is just what it sounds like. It's an upside down pyramid. 
And, and the idea is the most important content, the things that matter the most go up top. Um, the American essay, most essay writing, we all have been trained to think the opposite of that. Like you frame a story, then you give an example, then you talk about why it matters. But actually, if you start with what matters, people are more likely to continue reading. That's why journalism is effective. That's why the concept of the Amber impairment is so important inside journalism. And I brought that to my entire career. So I always start with what I think is going to draw people in first. Call it a lead, call it a net graph. There are specific terms for this in journalism. Um, it translates very well to comms too. Like pitches are very important. Translates to sales in that sense as well. Um, but all the content that you build should start with like as quickly as possible, the thing that people care about going back to the problem, like here is a problem that we see and here is, here is ways that different ways that people solve it. Let's get into it. Not well, there's a lot of different ways that you can solve all these different problems. And like, it's very challenging and confusing. We're all moving into the cloud. What does that mean? How do you choose a cloud provider? No, no, no. It's. 80% of people choose AWS. Once they move to AWS, there's a high probability that they're going to be moving to the container ecosystem, which means 90% of those people are going to be using EKS. If you're using EKS and you start to use it in a significant capacity, you're going to start to have challenges with the way your applications and containers talk to each other. Then you're going to need a networking solution. That's what Tetra does. So like you get there, but first you're talking about what the actual problems are. You can get into more detail there. And then eventually we'll talk about the company, but it's further down. It's toward the end of the pyramid. Yeah. It makes good sense because you got to capture their attention, right? Why do they care to listen more, to read more, to view more? Yeah. I mean, I, I think about that in terms of, you know, one of the things that's like pennies on the dollar that as marketers we've done for years and decades is email marketing, right? Nobody's going to open up out of the 200 emails they get that day. They're not going to open up that email if they don't see something in the subject line that interests them, that is an answer to, oh, I need to know more about that. That could help me, right? And so that's the, just the immediate kind of you know, visualization that I had because this inverted pyramid is just tell me why I should care. And then you can get into the rest of the story. Is that a good way to think about it? Yeah. Yeah. I did an executive leadership program a few years back. Um, one of the things that they really layered into the thinking was this concept. Um, it's a terrible acronym, but they use it as an acronym for the sake of what, and the, in the confines of that program, the point of it is. Like, why do you do what you do? Like, why, why do you do the job that you do? Why do you live the place you live? Like really thinking about it deeply in terms of like your own personal experience. But I've extrapolated that out to when I'm building content, when I'm building marketing programs, when I'm building a biannual plan, what, for the sake of what, like literally, what are we trying to accomplish as a marketing (laughs) team? Like what, like, like, yeah, targets and revenue and new customers, but like, so that the business can what, so that the marketing team can what, like literally, like, what are we doing? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? Like it's simple, but it's important. Keeps you grounded. So we've covered a lot here. I love the for sake of what I love the inverted pyramid. 
I love the way that you're reframing it for everyone, C-suite, <laughs> other departments. You know, it's all about our content is about solving problems, right? And that's not about product marketing and that it's it's the problem we solve, but it's a bigger problem. So, I mean, we've, we've just gone through over a lot, but if there was a single takeaway that you had for everybody to continually create just A plus content, right? That works so well for the company. What would your takeaway for them be? I lessons more. Um, I know, I know we're in this world of large language models and we can create something at the drop of a hat, snap of a finger. Um, but you're only going to get so many opportunities to get in front of your buyer. You're only going to get so many opportunities to get in front of the people who are influencing your buyer. So, uh, don't create 800 pieces of content. Create eight really great ones that you know will work, that you have field tested because volume is not your friend. Like, do you need to have a ground game? Sure. Like, do you need to put out uh, quite a lot of blogs and press releases so that when people do come to your site, you look like a living, breathing company and they can understand in more depth what you do? Absolutely. But when you're creating content that's meant to speak, focus it and focus it hard. Like what are the three problems that you solve better than anybody else? Here are three different types of assets for each of those. Build campaigns, ABM or more traditional demand gen, depending on what your business is around those assets and then go adjust them as you need to. But like you have to, you have to place bets. That's really what I'm sounding. Like you have to place bets and then you have to like leave those chips on the table. Well, it sounds like you've made a lot of good bets in the 15 to 20 years you've been doing this. If, if there were follow-on questions, Devin, and people wanted to get a hold of you, would a link to your profile on LinkedIn be the best way to do that? Yeah. Yeah, it would. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on and spending your time here and sharing your thoughts. Very much appreciated. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a great conversation. Great questions. Good to meet you, too.